Hey, to the point listeners, I want to make sure you are all aware that September is Suicide Prevention Month. Suicide is the 10th leading cause of death in the United States. If you've ever had to endure the horrible loss to suicide or even attempted suicide as I have, then you know the pit it leaves in your stomach and especially because it could have been prevented. So I want to share some warning signs with you uh, of those who are might be considering suicide or thinking about suicide. And, and that's people talking about wanting to die or kill themselves um, or talking about feeling hopeless or having no purpose. Maybe they're feeling trapped or having unbearable pain. Talk about being a burden, excessive alcohol use or drug use, um, you know, acting, acting anxious and agitated, sleeping too much or too little, withdrawing, um, maybe the opposite in showing rage is another thing or seeking revenge or just displaying those extreme mood swings or something you should all be on the lookout for. Now, if you know of someone or you suspect someone, I would encourage you to reach out to them and have an honest conversation. Be bold and talk to them in private and listen to their story. Tell them you care about them. Ask directly if they're thinking about suicide or have thought about it and then encourage some sort of treatment. You know, avoid debating the value of life or minimizing their problems or giving advice if you have to and and simply just encourage them to seek treatment or contact the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, which is uh, 1-800-273-8255 or connect with me, your boy Chris. I'd be happy to sit and listen with them and talk to them. And thanks again to our listeners for always tuning in every week. I'm so incredibly grateful and go and spread the word. We love you. This is To The Point, a Rhino experience, voted one of the top home services marketing and operations podcasts, cutting through the bullshit and getting to the point. Hey, what's up To The Point listeners? It's your boy, the host of To The Point Home Services podcast, Chris Yano, along with my co-host, Mr. Tall Paul Redman, who's a little under the weather today. Little under the weather, but my brother from an average height mother, it's so good to be back in the studio with you. You've been doing a little bit of traveling. You're out in Vegas. You look good, man. I was. I was out in Vegas. And actually, um, what was cool is I got to travel someplace again. I was going to check out another uh, industry that we are flirting with, um, but sucked that everybody had, I had to wear masks the whole time again. Like we're back to that. Back to that. Damn it. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, I mean, it was good. Uh, a quick day trip in and out of Vegas. And uh, and I was excited, man. The takeaway was really good. And, and actually, I'm going to bring it up on this podcast with our guests because I did not know this until I was doing a little bit of research on him, um, that he has also been involved in this industry um, back in like, I think it started in like 16. Anyway, we'll get to it. So um, first and foremost, I want to go ahead and welcome our guest, Mr. Colin Hathaway, who is the founder of Skylight Capital. Hey, Colin. Dude, we got history, bro. You know everybody. How do you know all these we, people? We have a long history. We got history. I was just thinking about that. Welcome to long the show, history. man. Welcome. Thanks for having me. We met we, like we, a decade ago. Yeah, it's been, God, it's for sure been a minute because we had Alan O'Neill on before, and that's kind of where our relationship yeah. started was back with the uh, Flint yep. group. Um, well. No, the Wrench group. Wrench group. Yes, sorry. And when you had... You were involved with, and we talked about on Alan O'Neill's, um, on his episode that he did with us too, just about the same thing with Abacus, Berkey's, and Bonnie's. That was Bonnie's, yep, right? Yep, yes. yep, 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 and, yep. And that's when it started, but it's been a minute. But uh, welcome, man. You worked, actually, <laughs> listeners who have listened to my wife before, Colin actually worked a lot with my wife 
when she that's was managing your wife. That's right. Yeah. She did most of that management, which, you know, what's kind of crazy is uh, the size of business we are today versus then is like significantly different. So, but it's pretty cool always to, to have a little history. Let's go back in time. It's awesome. I mean, this industry is so small. If you, someone said, how do you know everyone? I said, if you're around me in this industry for over a decade, you kind of get to meet everybody. Well, not everybody, but it's a lot of people. It's awesome. Pretty much. You know, what's cool is that I feel like you got to the, um, and maybe it was just because I was just, I was just learning it then. But when, um, you got involved with that deal was really the first time I had ever seen, um, like that getting involved with like the M and a world. Like, and that's the first, that was my first experience with it all. And that's been a while ago. So, a lot of what's happened over the last couple of years with mergers and acquisitions and obviously like everybody trying to get into the home services space, uh, in my, everybody, in, everybody. Um, but you were in it early and, and I love well, yeah, hearing your story about it, but, but let's do this. So this is a great segue. Let's go ahead and, and let our listeners know, um, kind of your story and, and like how you got into the trades. Let's go ahead and start with that. Sure. And I'll bring it back to whether I was early or just late. Um, <laughs> So I had, um, I had been involved in sales early in my career and then uh, in, 2000, in 2000 to 2002, and then I flirted with going to law school, but turns out if you major in fraternity life and don't necessarily pay a ton of attention to your academics, uh, you can't really get into beer it. Bong. it. It was pretty, pretty close. Okay. Uh, I think, I, I think. When you apply to law school, they tell you what percentile you are. You know, like all your, when you you have your kids test and nobody gets below like 90th percentile. And I was 43rd percentile. <laughs> and so I was like, that's pretty that's good. Funny. I'm like, no, that's like, that's like the, almost the bottom third. Uh, so, so yeah, I, I didn't get into law school and a friend referred me to a private equity firm in San Francisco for a job to where I was supposed to source deals, which is like finding business brokers, which I'm sure... <laughs> contact your listeners all the time. Um, and some of them are worth talking to and are really good advocates and, you know, some, uh, maybe less so, but, uh, uh, but my job was basically to call business brokers and find companies that were for sale. Um, looking at companies that were kind of 3 million plus of operating profit or EBITDA. And that's what I did. And for me, it was an easy job because no one at my sales job ever called me back. And all the brokers wanted to call me back because we were their prime customer. And, that's how I learned a little bit about finding opportunities to invest in. The issue was that when I started in this job, I was almost fired in the first week because I screwed up a huge financial analysis because I didn't understand any of the financials <laughs> and uh, almost blew like a $20 million investment. And um, you may have heard this, but you know, the, the owner of the, or the guy who started the firm said, what is this analysis? I said, it's pretty bad. And he's like, it's terrible. I said, I know. And he's like, why is like, it's almost like you don't know the three financial statements. And I said, I don't, and he's like, what do you mean? I said, what do you mean? He's like, what do you mean? <laughs> I said, what do you mean? And he's like, how'd you get a job here? I said, cause you never asked. You asked if I was good on the phone and I'm awesome. <laughs> and he looked at me and I looked at him and he walked away and I was like, Oh my God, I'm going to get fired. <laughs> and fortunately he was the, the firm at the time was worse at firing than they were at hiring. And I like just tucked in and learned how to do the financial element, which is a learnable thing, thankfully. And that's how I started my career in investing. And I was just a, a kind of a peon, but I did run a team that, that found investments. And, and so I went back to business school at Stanford uh, where I'd gone to college and um, 
while I was there, had a bright idea to try and buy smaller companies. And I think um, I, I call it micro cap, but essentially it's basically under sub 3 million. So like most of the businesses in our sector make less than 3 million of profit. I mean, 95% make a million of revenue. So like, yeah. it, it's like a perfect fit for what I eventually fell into, but essentially it's like the small companies that oftentimes need a lot of help or where there's, you know, you can do a lot of work and you can grow, but, but most people ignore them in the private equity space because they would rather put 10 million or 20 million or hundred million to work and double that than put a million dollars to work and triple it or make five times their money because you spend about the same amount of work and there's way more risk. And then you can also borrow a lot more money, like, uh, uh, which is something I can talk about, but like, it's kind of what's changed our sector right now is you can borrow so much money, but it's like buying a house. If you want to buy a mansion for 5 million, you can borrow 90%. But if you want to buy a $300,000 house, you can borrow 10%. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and so it makes it a little harder even to buy the smaller ones because you have to come up with more of your own money where some of the bigger companies, you can just borrow a lot of it, which poses its own risks. Um, it can increase your returns, but also means that you can go, sideways really fast. Um, hey, Colin, real quick. Started, can you, can you yeah. give the, can you go ahead and give a timeline on that just so we can kind of like follow the progression? Yeah. So I started Skylight right out of business school in 07. So I graduated college in 2000, right into the tech bus. And I graduated business school in 07 when I launched Skylight <laughs> in a recession. Uh, right, right into the great recession. Perfect. So I, yeah, I nailed it. I hit two recessions, <laughs> um, both times I got out of school and Fortunately for me, I found Bonnie Plumbing, which is how I got into space. And yeah. it was, I was looking between Bonnie and Sacramento and I was living in San Francisco at the time with my wife and uh, looking at this company in Vegas that made the plastic things that you put dollar bills into for Coke machines and slot machines. And uh, I was like, well, I can only do one and I'll just do this one that's closer. And my friends were like, what are you doing? You're buying a plumbing company? And I was like, yeah, it's close. So if there's a problem, I can get there. The owners are amazing. Candy and Mark Bonnie are fantastic. And they were keeping 20%. So we're going to be partners. And I was like, you guys all say a recession's coming. I'm pretty sure toilets still break in a recession. And they're like, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. I was like, yeah, <laughs> I know. But like, if I was really smart, I'd be at Facebook or like Goldman Sachs. And neither one is called, so I'm just going to buy it. And I bought it and Bear Stearns went under two weeks later. And stuff just, just for those of you who remember, like yeah. stuff hit the fan hard. Oh, yeah. Um, and we persevered. I mean, we grew 2% and 3% in 08 and 09, which is not awesome, but uh, was a lot better than a lot of other people did. And that was how I cut my teeth and got into the home service space. And then, uh, you know, over the last 10 years, or 12, 13 years now, um, I managed to start a group now called the Wrench Group that in 2011, I bought a company called Berkey's in Dallas. In 2012, I bought a company called Abacus in Houston with Alan O'Neill. Yep. And, uh, that was the start of what's now the wrench group, but, um, that was around 2012. And I've been in the home services for now, like four years. And it just like finally figured out how to take the stuff that seemed to work well at one company and like basically drop it on the other ones. And the company's like, and, and I had great partners. Alan O'Neill is amazing. The bodies yeah. were fantastic. And Alan, you know, did, he was leading the company and then he actually took over Berkey's in Dallas. But like we, we sort of figured it out and the company's just shot to the roof. Like Sacramento went from nine to 23 million in three years and Dallas went from nine to 20 and Houston went from nine to 30. And then the Texas group, we bought Parker and Sons in Phoenix 
which is a guy I think you should talk to if you haven't. And um, Paul Kelly. And uh, and so we were at like a hundred million. And then we ended up cool right joined our group. And uh, at the time, my investor said we want to sell. And I said, please don't sell. Like we're just figuring this out. And I said we want to sell. And we sold in 2016 uh, for $200 million. And it was, it was a pretty big swing because not that long before that I had been, I had moved to Seattle where I'm from with my wife. We had a three month old and 15 grand in the bank and a rental house. And all my, my, some people are like, Oh, you have a rental house. And I'm like, not an income property, a rental <laughs> house. Like I have like barely enough. I have like five months rent. That's it. That's what I got. And uh, so it was, you know, I feel very grateful. Alan was amazing. And, um, and then the last few years I bought a roofing company, which maybe you want to talk about guardian roofing in uh, December of 16. I grew again with really great partners, uh, Lori and Matt Swanson who started it. I was doing about 10 million of revenue when I bought it. And now we're doing 21 or 2 million four years later. And two years ago, I raised $30 million to go start another group of plumbing air conditioning companies. So we started the Flint group and we now have five businesses, hopefully six soon. And we'll be, we'll probably finish the year around 90 million of revenue. Wow. And you brought Trevor on. Oh yeah. I partnered with Trevor Flanagan. He, it, it oh, was amazing. With Ruby, yeah. right? He was, yeah. It yeah, was with Ruby. And before that with Bob Hamilton, I came to city. It. And we met, we kind of had knew, known of each other. We talked once on the phone and we got together in April of 19. So I was just raising the money and had like a ton of interest. It was great. I was going to raise 20 million and had like 45 million of interest. So we got raised 30 and Trevor and I hit, hit it off over like a three hour dinner. Uh, no, we didn't even have drinks. So like it's hard to have three hour dinner with no drink. <laughs> no and uh, I think I was trying to lose some holiday weight from the previous holiday and like six months earlier and uh july and yeah, yeah it was yeah it was like it was a long time before and so we hit it off and at the end i was like gosh he's like what you're doing sounds great and i said i'd really like to work with you would you ever want to work with me and he's like what does that look like and i uh, like a week later we hadn't signed up as a partner in the coo and uh he he had he had promised his wife they'd go on a, a month-long trip and she passed the bar exam so he's the only guy i know who takes like a pre-work sabbatical. I was like, this was supposed to be after like 10 years you go on sabbatical. He's like, I know, I'm going to front load. So, uh, <laughs> so yeah, so he started and it's been, it's been remarkable. It's really hard to envision finding a partner over dinner and having it work. And it's just gone really well. He, he's been amazing. Yeah, man. Shout out to Trevor. He's a good dude. And you he's invested in his software company? No, I didn't. I just, uh, I, 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 we had just, heard of each other and I think probably they sold all our companies and um yeah we didn't we he was up for a next event in Seattle and I said let's just get together and now a few years later here we are yep because he had one sold thing leads to another home service chats yeah. to Ruby that's what it was hey yeah so yeah. real quick I you, you're right you hit the nail on the head I did want to touch on that 2016 <laughs> uh year with roofing and I'll tell you why and I've, I've said it a couple times um I was up in, in Las Vegas for the International Roofing Expo um and just kind of getting a feel for everything, trying to immerse myself into it. But the reason is, is uh, again, because I've been noticing some of the private equity players, um, big contractors now buying roofing companies. So um, naturally, like I'm once I see enough of it happening, I'm 
there's a pattern. So I'm like, I got to go check this out. Is this, and I, I kind of, because we own, you know, if you're listening for the first time, I'm the CEO of a company called Rhino Strategic Solutions. Why that's important is we're a digital marketing company, but only for the trades. Literally since Colin and I have known each other, we've been, it's just HVAC, plumbing, yep. electrical is our focus. So I've kind of followed these patterns. Um, and as we brought on roofing companies, one, it's significantly easier than HVAC uh, in regards to my world. Um, but I like it. It's easy, but they're so far behind. It's like uh, I went and listened to some of the um, breakouts, and, and some of these things are just su- still super far behind, which is encouraging for, for me to hear on how I could h- come and help elevate it. But, like, are you noticing any sort of pattern like that as well? Like, obviously, you're in that level. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a ton of interest in buying commercial roofers, we, we tend to do just residential. I mean, the, <laughs> we bought, we bought into guardian. My wife's like, what are you, what are you doing? You don't even know anything about it. So I was like, I was like, well, it rains a lot here. I'm pretty sure roof leak. And she's like, that is the dumbest thesis. I'm like, I know, but like, but it's working it's down the street. It's yeah, been it's working. <laughs> yeah, it worked. It worked. All right. But no, it's, it's a much, it, it is. You're right. It's a lot more fragmented. Um, I mean, we're one of the biggest hundred companies in the country when we were 10 or 15 million. So I don't know where we rank now, but, but it's, I mean, our space plumbing air conditioning is pretty fragmented and this is more fragmented and I would say it's less sophisticated. I mean, the playbook that Lori and Matt helped me roll out was essentially the same thing that we've done across our other companies. Um, but starting from like ground zero, like the first sales meeting I had, I said, Hey, what's your close rate? the 10 sales guys and one guy's like it doesn't matter and i was like strike one <laughs> and then i said like rope until average, average ticket and he's like doesn't matter i'm like strike two and then i'm like how much how many of your jobs do you finance and because if people save for their roofs and i was like okay you you can't you can't talk anymore like <laughs> no more like no one saves 20 grand for a roof i don't even want to save 20 grand for a roof so you know, we had to go in and like start introducing KPIs and financing and all this stuff. And may- maybe a bunch of companies do that. I just don't think they do. The only risk is there's a lot less regulation. There's, there's supposed to be regulation, but like there's a lot more three dudes in a truck. Yeah. Um, and a lot of more, like we, we go, we do everything compliant with the law. We pay $4 to the state of Washington for every hour that our guys work because the workers comp is, is through the state here. And if you just pay your guys in cash halfway or all the way, then you don't pay that four bucks and suddenly the pricing is much lower. Now there's no warranties and if dude falls off the roof, the homeowner's totally hosed. But that's that's just one risk. It's a great business. It's yeah, I'd say maybe it's not quite as good as plumbing and air conditioning. I mean, if you just think about it, if a roof's fifteen grand or twenty grand, it takes four guys two days, we can put in two HVAC systems at ten grand a pop, you know, four guys in one day. So just the margins are a little bit better in right. the plumbing and HVAC space. Got so it. when when you were taking these companies, Chris, I know we have so many questions, but when you were taking these companies from three to seven to nine to 10 to 20, um, what were some of the foundational things that you found? Like I'm thinking, I'm, I'm picturing you at Bonnie's and things are clicking and you're seeing results. And when did it click to say, oh, I can, these are the, here's my playbook. Like what was your early playbook to grow these companies? Oh, I wish that was a playbook. It was like a total... <laughs> cluster i was like i would just walk around and ask a lot of questions and it was like a it was a real eye-opener for me um i mean i walked in and we bought the company and i said hey i'm the new guy and like wanted to make a big deal of it which now we don't do at all 
And I said, I want to interview your top 10 techs. And so well, I didn't call them plumbers because we didn't call them, I didn't even know what they're called techs. And uh, I was like, hey, what if I could tell you one day you'd have an opportunity to be a manager? And they're like, ooh, n- <laughs> nope, no way, nope. And I was like, okay, well, no. And like, no one wanted it. It was just a much different deal. And I just didn't understand how it worked. And the Bonnies, the thing that I was very lucky is the Bonnies were, they knew everything about that company and they had the best culture. They took such good care of their employees. We used to pay 100% of our employees and their families' health care, which is now like so cost prohibitive. But they were amazing. So we started from like a really good spot. And then a lot of it was just like, our website was one page with a coupon link. And when you clicked on the coupon link, it went to an error page. <laughs> so I was like, I'm like, can we update that? And they're like, do you know how to do that? I'm like, no. SmartAC.com. SmartAC.com. If you haven't heard of it, you better find out. If you haven't implemented it, you better check it out. You have to get started doing something. 2024 is going to be an absolute battlefield. What are you doing differently than your competitors? You need to make sure that your memberships are sticky. SmartAC.com does that. Lifetime warranty, insurance savings, filter discounts, 24-7 monitoring that lets you know about problems before the homeowner might even know about the problem. Live tech chat, service providers, all of this with smartac.com. You've got to check it out now. Someone does. So like we built a new website. We launched air conditioning. We, they, they were very profitable, but like the goal was always like, what's the minimum amount we have to pay for, for XYZ role? And after like the third iteration of it, I was like, hey, can we just pay like regular and see what happens? And it turns out like regular generated a much better employee. And Weird. <laughs> but yeah, I know. So it was way, way easier. So then we started paying regular um, or even above regular and you get like great employees. Um, so I think, I mean, I think I really didn't kind of come into my own until I had seen a couple of different versions of this with Berkey's and Abacus. Um, and then, you know, I had this felt like debacle in the middle, which was outside of plumbing and air conditioning. Um, we're going but deeper on that. It wasn't really a playbook. Now it's much more refined. It's, you know, invest in a company. We pretty much evaluate and hire a new controller. We hire a recruiter. We look for a new space. Um, we change all the financials so they match all the other companies so we can compare them um, and let them compare to one another. We get them on planes, even with COVID, to go see one another and just pick up nuggets. So a bunch of things now are much, I mean, we still are fighting every day, but uh, we're hustling, I guess, but, uh, but it's a lot easier. I, I was kind of flying by the seat of my pants at the beginning. Well, you, you did. Okay. It worked out. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I did. I was very lucky. And I, I do think just to bring it back to your original question, like I was at the beginning, I mean, I was at the beginning when I invested in 08, like no one was buying plumbing companies. But I also think I was at the end because there's been so many of these failed consolidations and roll-ups and like the, the last iteration that just happened. <laughs> so no one wanted to touch those companies. And so I just didn't know that. So I'm like, oh, this would be great. Um, I was just too dumb. Um, and I think, I think people have forgotten about that. And it used to be, if you were, when I would talk to owners, they'd be like, are you just another consolidator? And I was like, what is that? why are they so mad about that? And then finally I figured it out and they were like, are you just another consolidator? I was like, oh, you mean I'm going to overpay for your business, fuck it up and sell it back to you at 10 cents on the dollar? 
And they're like, oh, you do know what it is. Yeah. I'm like, no, I'm like, no, I'm not, I'm not one of those. So, oh man. That's so true. So, Hey, you yeah. talked about, um, you said Salt Lake debacle. What is the Salt Lake debacle in as many, in as many words as possible? As many words. As many words. You guys just want all the juice. Uh, it was an abject disaster. So it was 2010 that the recession It's funny. Cause now people don't remember the recession. Cause like, I mean, I'm not that old. I'm 43, but like, people are like, oh yeah, that recession. I'm like, it was awful. And, um, I mean, California is issuing IOUs and like, oh, it was awful. And I bought a company that did mining services. So they would literally go into like, I thought mining was like a pan and you shake it and the gold comes out. And like, it turns out it's like using cyanide and all this horrible stuff. It's super dangerous and it breaks up rocks and like, and they have rubber in their pipes to basically prevent the pipes from breaking. So like they would go in and vulcanize or make the rubber hard. It makes plumbing look like, like the worst sewer job in plumbing is like white collar compared to what this was. And the, the employees were great, but it was like a whole different tier. And I bought 60% of this company from this devout Mormon gentleman used very loosely in all respects. And uh, what happened is uh, he was, lying he was committing fraud forging osha records using a hookers and blow sales <laughs> strategy uh what's that mean i'm sorry coming uh, in i yeah um run that back to so, court yeah so warning sign number one is we drove to one of the customer sites to meet the primary customers there was like there was one customer with like 50 percent of your revenue you're not supposed to do that you're not supposed to buy a company where if the one customer goes away like you're over totally leveraged, hard. over leveraged yeah, slightly. Yeah, so, like I, so I, I, I did it. I bought it and uh, and I did everything wrong. Now, the only good thing is I didn't borrow any money because we really had to close so fast. We're like, we'll borrow money later. So when we, when we lost 50% of our revenue, like we didn't have to, we didn't lose it to the bank. But uh, these, <laughs> I should have known that the owner, the owner had like a, like an account at the local casino near the thing, <laughs> near the mining site with like suites and stuff, complete with like hot tubs and mirrors on the ceiling. I mean, I, I was like, where am I? But I didn't like put it together that maybe that was weird. Uh, <laughs> and like the, the, the customers were basically getting food, guns, girls, whatever they wanted to buy from us. And if the, if the job should be a hundred grand, shockingly, he was getting it at 200 grand. Yeah. And all that was profit. And then we had a big accident that the owner's brother tried to hide. The guy shot himself in the neck with a sandblaster, which is like a pressure washer with dirt. And we snuck him off the mine site, which is all like public record, I think. And because uh, I know because I got investigated by MSHA, which is like the mining OSHA. It's like way worse than OSHA. And he snuck him off and got airlifted back to Salt Lake City. And I said, we got to tell the mine. It's like illegal. And he said, well, it's your funeral. I was like, what? And I told him and we lost that business the next day. And our company went from like seven or eight million to four. And, and, and it was, I mean, it was terrible. But there were so many things wrong with it. Like, uh, so customer concentration, cyclical market. So it turns out like when copper prices go down, it doesn't matter how much, how good you are. No one wants to buy anything. But like no one needs maintenance. Uh, like I trusted the seller and there was like an echo chamber, which is like, I thought it was cool. The investors thought it was cool. And so like, we all thought it was really cool, but maybe we didn't 
maybe vetted as closely as we should have. And then like the other two things I learned is like, I was pretty desperate. I had started Skylight and the way I made money was I'd charge a management fee, like a fee to the companies. And like, I've been doing this for like two and a half years and I had like one management fee. This is also why, you know, I said I like got really good at the financials. Well, I didn't get good enough because I started my own little business like you guys have. And like, I was like, oh, if I make a hundred grand of fees, that's awesome. But I, I was thinking it was like a hundred grand of W2 income. But it turns out when you have your own business, like a hundred grand, if you have to pay your rent and your cell phone and your gas, your travel, like you don't have many grand left at the end. So like I was, I was like, I have to buy another company to get fees to like prove this out. So I was kind of desperate. So, you know, it's, there's a difference between burning the boats, like where you're so committed, you're not going to have other options and being desperate. And I'd say I was pretty desperate. Um, and then the last thing is like, the guy just lied. And sometimes no matter how hard you work, like you just, you're just going to get burned. So, you know, I mean, I, I, I think if I had two more months, I don't know if I would have caught all the lies, maybe some of them, but he did. A, I mean, if you're going to forge OSHA records, Yikes. you're probably going to do whatever it takes to just make sure yeah, this deal gets done. You've, com yeah. you've committed to the lie. <laughs> you've committed to yeah. the lie. <laughs> yeah. No, he was all in on the lie. And so it was, uh, I, you know, I saw a lot. I learned a lot. I visited a lot of my insights. <laughs> Um, we lost two thirds of our money and we were able to sell it to the GM. We kept it operational and we were able to save a lot of jobs and we sold it to the GM. who's a great guy, but it was just a disaster. I remember, um, I remember you buying this company cause I think we, that was, that was after when was it? So what it was you after had, Bonnie, yeah. I bought Bonnie in 08 and then this company in 10. That's it. I remember it. it. Was, so I think we yeah, I, I probably was like begging for help. Like, Hey, can you help us sell more stuff? And I think everybody was like, no. Yeah. I was like, <laughs> we can rebuild the site for it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Turns out the, the mining buyers don't really care about it. No, they really don't. They, they like the, gu the guns and the booze and the girls. <laughs> we had and, it all wrong. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I now have a pretty foolproof plan for increasing profit <laughs> on a short term basis. You just better only do it for a short term basis and then, get out. <laughs> but, but you're not, so, you're not endorsing that strategy. I'm not endorsing it. <laughs> I'm just suggesting that I know of it. It has been used. It has been used on me. So I'm now aware of it. So I, I want to go back to shortly after Stanford, you're in the Bay area, you're working in the boiler room type area. What did you learn from that season of your life? And has it carried with you to today? Has it informed how you behave what did you learn there? I mean, it's the best job that I never want to do again. It, yeah. it taught me so much and not just the colloquialisms that I got screamed at me every day. Um, I mean, if you've seen Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross or Boiler Room, if you haven't, you should watch both. Cause oh, it's yeah. ama amazing. Um, Colin, check this out real that, quick. You guys, you know, the listeners can't see this, but I'm actually facing my camera towards a whiteboard here in the podcast room. Can you see what that says? Does it say coffees for closers? It says always be closing. Always be closing. Yeah. So, so, that's, so yes, that's perfect. So somebody, while I was gone yesterday, was having a little fun with the whiteboard because I've, I won't ever use that. So somebody else <laughs> wrote that. <laughs> but I know the movie. I've watched the movie plenty of times. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No. So I worked out of a, like a converted nunnery and uh, <laughs> there was like six of us in this like office and 
my boss was an ex-fraternity guy from Arizona and we come in and just scream like, act as if Hathaway. I was like, act as if what? He's like, act as if you know what the hell you're doing. And I'm like, I don't, I don't, I just got here. And, uh, you know, it always be closing. And I'm like, oh, and my favorite is like, net, net. He's like, net, net. And I was like, what does oh, that mean? Right. Oh, gosh. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, plus minus, plus minus. He's like, fuck you, Hathaway. I'm like, <laughs> okay. So, so uh, if anyone says net, net, I'm like, eh, eh. nope, sorry. Doesn't make sense. But it was a great job. I mean, and I had some great people who I worked with and I learned a lot, but I mean, there's still so many things from that job that I use today. So I was just thinking through a few. I mean, so one, set an agenda. Every meeting I have, either I or whoever I'm meeting with, I ask them to set an agenda. Sales calls, new, new owners we're talking to, one-on-ones that I do. Um, iterate, iterate. So like, I was supposed to get through these gatekeepers and convince IT guys to buy bandwidth from us. And like, no, turns out no one wants to talk to you. So like, I had to try a hundred different things. I took the model they had and I just kept iterating on it. And <laughs> I would say I finally settled on a way that uh, was a little questionable um, where, where I would let them know that if, if they didn't take my call, that their, their fiber optics could be um, out of service shortly. Now, the reality is if they bought from us, their fiber optics would be out of service because we'd be, they'd be using us. But, you know, it worked to get through. Um, and, I, you know, I think I would just, pra- like, I think about it with our tech. Like, I, pra- I practice the opening. I practice, like, the, the agenda. I practice the ending. You know, like, there's a bunch of things, and it just took a lot of work. And you have to be, like, rejected a bunch of times, but it, it worked. Um, importance of hitting your numbers if you commit to them. I mean, my boss used to say, like, what I'd say, I'm going to close that deal. He's like, you, you're going to put 70% of your salary on it. And I'm like, and I just use that with our auditor. They were, our audits were kind of rough this year. And so, like, I, they said, we'll get it done by 731. I said, are you going to bet 80% of your salary? She's like, what? I'm an auditor. <laughs> I'm like, I know. But that's, like, that's what we need is that much commitment. Um, and I, I think the last two things are, like, how to be uncomfortable. I mean, sales or anything, like, it's just whoever can be uncomfortable the longest wins and there's real value in being quiet dude that's good so you have to be uncomfortable to be quiet and if you're willing to be more uncomfortable on the other side it generally works out better for you it doesn't mean you need to make them uncomfortable but sometimes you just need to shut your mouth and take your point and then see what happens um and then just having fun while you grind like I still like try to make a game out of things. I mean, if there's a certain person we can't get a hold of or someone's not responding, I'm like, just give me their number. Like I'm going to find a way to like get this person on the phone or get an answer. And it's like more of a, <laughs> it's just a game. I'm like, I want, I want to win. Like Challenge. I want to get this done. Yeah. And yeah. so I think if, if you, and, and I think that carries over. I mean, not, not always directly. Some of those things are for sure directly. Um, but it's helped me immensely in talking to owners or people in our businesses or people in the industry. And like I said, it's, it's the best training. I mean, I was going to be an investment banker looking at Excel all day, which by the way, probably means I wouldn't have gotten fired <laughs> or almost fired, but like, but maybe I would have, cause I wouldn't have been able to talk to business brokers or yeah. bu- business owners. And so I, I'm, it's not, it's not the most direct path to where I would have, like some, some kids said, I want to follow your path. And I was like, okay, so like you quit your job to go to a crappy startup that almost goes out. Like you don't get into law school. 
you know, you almost get fired from your private equity job. You start a company in recession. You almost go personally bankrupt. You know, it takes like six to seven years. Like if you want to, that's fine. I'd probably just go get like a consulting job if I were you. Yeah, yeah. work at Deloitte. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's a little, it's a little steadier than, than my way. But no, I asked that question because it's, it's hard to replicate that period of time where things aren't fun and you missed the mark on probably what you thought you were going to do when you left Stanford, probably had some pressure on yourself or from family for what you should be doing. And you had to, I just call it, you know, eat shit for a long period of time. And then there's no, like one, no one can take that away from you. And two, there's no like way to replicate it. So I don't know. I think, I think that's right. I just remember feeling really sad. I mean, I was like, I felt like a failure. I felt like it wasn't working out. And I, I think I was lucky because I had a lot of love and support, but also like had a, I feel like I've been very, I've been very fortunate in that there's a few things I've ever wanted in my life. And I just like set them as goals. And then I just never lost sight of those. And so far, like knock on wood, they've all kind of worked out, but not without some, some dark times. And you're right. I mean, I mean, there's a lot of people now who said, like some guy the other day said, like, I didn't want to waste my 20s working for a corporation. And I was like, hey, the best time to waste is your 20s. I mean, mm-hmm. I worked 80 hours a week for my old private equity firm. And when I wasn't working, I was out and I had a great time. I was a little lonely, but mm-hmm. you can't replicate those 80 hours. Like you just learn a lot. I learned double with someone working 40 hours work, you know, learn. Yeah. So that's commitment. <laughs> so you mentioned well, dark moments. <laughs> Or stupidity. <laughs> hey, whatever. Call what Which you want. Which helps. Call what you yeah. want. Was Salt Lake the darkest moment or what was the darkest moment? Oh, no, no. I mean, the darkest moment, I, I, I had a heart attack when I was 36. It was right in the middle of Wrench. Or it hadn't. It's funny now. The story of Wrench is very, like, the story I tell is very linear. Like, oh, we killed it. Blah, blah, blah. But, like, yeah. it's actually, we bought it with $4 million in profit. And within a year, it was at three, which is, for the record, like, the wrong Let's go on dirt. Wrong <laughs> and, and, like, the Dallas owner flamed out and, like, took down, like, all the morale and, and also took down our SEO rankings on the way out the door. Um, Seen that. And then I had, yeah. And... I had a heart attack. I have genetically high cholesterol, so I've watched it since I was like eight years old. And um, when I was 36, I had a dispute with my biggest investor at the time, and it got pretty hairy. And I was in a position where I didn't have much leverage, and it was someone who was super important to me. So having any sort of conflict was very stressful, let alone the stress of having someone you care about immensely and you kind of having longer, you know, being at loggerheads, but also the financial risk to me, I just bought my first house. I had two kids under, I think two and a half or three. And we resolved our issue. And within two and a half weeks, I had a heart attack. And I was very fortunate because I knew what it was happening. I chewed up baby aspirin and no damage happened. And I ended up getting a stand that day. And, um, but it, it, it was brutal. I mean, it, it, I would say I was kind of in a fog for like three, three or four months. And I mean, not, not like a real fog, but just sort of like you're 36. And yeah. You know, like what the hell just happened. happened to me. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, that was probably my, my lowest moment. I feel I was very, very lucky. And 
the interesting thing is like I was very lucky, had a ton of support, I was in a financially you know okay spot. Um and I had my part like Alan O'Neill and Bonnie, everybody like chipped in and did a great job. But like um what's interesting is like that I felt like a ton of gratitude and was like, oh I'm gonna be great, it's gonna be great. And then it's funny, just like everyone's memory is short term. Like the further you get away from it, you just forget. The gratitude goes away, irritation goes up. Um, but I will say, like I don't, I, I feel very fortunate because I'm in a financially good enough position that I don't have to be quite as scared ever again sure. uh, as I was at that point. Um, but I will say, like the thing that changed for me is like autonomy, like having and being in charge of, like having some self determination is very, very important for me. When I set up Flint, I set it up so that I had a lot more control this time so that we wouldn't sell early. Um, <laughs> and that I could pick the people I worked with like Trevor. And um, and so for me, that's like, I think, cause I think with that, I trust that if I have the, the power to make the decisions, like things will, I think be okay. Cause I tend to focus on the stuff that I think is right, the culture and people and, um, and I also just like, it's like I, I think I'm much more empathetic to people's mental and physical health at our companies now. Um, you know, when you're younger, again, I don't, it's like an old man, but uh, I don't know if you're always that empathetic or aware, but people having kids and their kids getting sick or real serious things or parents, um, I, I feel like I'm a, a much more supportive of that. Um, and so I think I think that bodes well for our businesses, but also is just the right thing to do for the companies and the people that work for us. Dude, I think empathy is a uh, I've said it over and over again is a phenomenal characteristic of a leader. I stand by that. Um, I want to lift this back up a little bit. <laughs> um, so, what was your second darkest moment <laughs> in your life, Colin? Paul? Talking to you, <laughs> asshole. That's what yeah, his second yeah. darkest moment yeah. is. Yeah. <laughs> oh, not yet. Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> So let's talk about. <laughs> okay. I mean, if you but if you have if you have the bubonic plague right now and you bite it on the skull, that would be suboptimal. Just keep making your your fluid. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Well, okay. So now let's talk about some success, okay? Because I want to talk about some. Uh, you've you've had you've had some uh, you've had plenty of it. You've you've you had to go through it to get to it, but you've had some great success. And um, you know what. Will you share maybe some of your best post-acquisition success stories that you've seen kind of in your stint here? Um, I don't think – well, here's the deal. Actually, I'm not going to say I think. Uh, based on my experience, I've heard good and I've heard bad, um, not only from, uh, from the contractors themselves who have um, entered into that type of a partnership, um, but even from, you know, some of the – private equity firms themselves on like, obviously kind of like you experienced too with the, um, you know, with the mining thing, like maybe due diligence, like there's a lie is a lie. Sometimes you can't uncover all the, all the lies until you're into it. But, but let's share some of the good stories because you've had plenty of those as well. So like, give me a good best, give me a good post acquisition, like success story. I think it, I mean, it, it, it kind of depends on how the, folks we're working with to find success. I mean, one of the best success stories, and I don't want to be duplicative for you, is like Alan O'Neill. I mean, Alan O'Neill is one of the most phenomenal leaders I've ever met. And he's the guy who runs Abacus and Berkey's and Baker Brothers in Texas for Wrench Group. I mean, 
the guy, again, I know you did a podcast with him, but he worked at the airport as a plumber in Ireland. And then he became a plumber here. And then he became the president of plumbing company. Then he started a plumbing company. My favorite story, he had two owners and no calls. I was like, that's the worst plumbing like, start I've ever heard of. But, you know, he built a $9 million plumbing company with 4,000 plumbing service agreements, which I've never, ever seen. or I've tried to replicate everywhere and never been able to do it. And he sold to us and made a good chunk of money and then kept ownership. And then we sold in 16, made a good chunk of money again. And then sold again in 19. So remember I said we sold too early for 200 million. Yep. And then they sold for 750 million three years later, <laughs> which would indicate that even if I hadn't done as well as Ken, who Ken's done a phenomenal job with wrench group. Wow. Like at least uh, I, if we'd missed the mark and only hit 500 million, that would have been great. <laughs> um, so, uh, so, so we're not going to sell too early. Um, <laughs> I get it. But, uh, but yeah, like, it, and what's cool is like, for Alan, not only did he do well financially, but like he, he has kept control of that culture, not control of it. Like he has just ensured that the culture has, has stayed A plus as it went from 9 million to 60 million. And then he's taken that to Berkey and, ha- and implemented this great culture. And then uh, Jimmy at Baker Brothers had a great culture, but he's kept that too. And, and meanwhile, as, a, as an executive, now he's running, you know, I don't even know how big they are, you know, a huge group in Texas, like that's pretty awesome. And he's probably one of the most intuitive, smart owners and ma- ma- executives I've ever met. And, and, and just like a joy, like he's like a sponge and he's the best I've ever seen at change management, which is what you got to be if you're going to grow one of these companies. So I think that's, that's like a great story, you know, at Flint group are and any, well, I guess I'll use our roofing company, um, Matt and Lori, they had a third partner who was a bit, um, they had some, some conflict with, and I bought in the guardian and the third partner went away and they have really just thrived as owners, but also like leaders of this business where we've doubled the size of the company. We just bought a new building, you know, they've really developed as leaders and they have kept the culture sort of a plus as well. And so, so like that's, that's like the wins for the people who stay. And then I would say there's been some wins for people who leave. Like we've had a couple of owners who wanted to retire or thought they might want to stay and wanted to retire. And the thing that I'm most proud of is we, we protect their legacy. I mean, the companies are different. They grow and they change, but like for us, it's really important that when they leave their company and their culture in our hands, that we just protect it. And I'd say the owner in Oregon of the company Wolfers, he stayed with us for a year and now he's doing other stuff. And I think it's gone really well. And it's, um, and he's a part owner of Flint and that's been really financially, I think will be good for him, but also just he can rest easy knowing that the company's a good hand. Is that John? Yeah. John Kristen. He's amazing. Small world. Great guy. Yeah. He's the best. So, So, So thanks for sharing those stories. I mean, I've also heard a bunch. It's just that, like, I just recently heard one that was, I'm obviously not going to call it any names, but didn't go as advertised. And I hate hearing those stories because of the family's impact, but obviously has nothing to do with with you, Colin, but um, just unfortunate, man. I hate hearing when things don't go as advertised. So especially when somebody puts so much work into it. Well, I think that 
thing that's tough. I mean, there's always risk, right? Like the, the flip side of my deal in Salt Lake is it can be the flip side for the seller, you know? Um, and so I think it's really important that the owners know what they want if they, if they can. I mean, they can't always tell. Um, and then the tricky part is like, <clears throat> we tend to keep our stuff pretty simple. Like when we buy a company, we take cash, uh, occasionally give equity in plant, maybe have a small seller note <clears throat> if they're not keeping any equity just so they'll answer the phone, which means they owe, <laughs> we owe them some money over the next three years. Uh, so we'd be like, where's that file? Um, <clears throat> but it's very simple structure so that whatever happens to us generally happens to you. And I will tell you the machinations that go on in creating these complex structures, they generally don't work out well. And I, and I know that because I used to, like, that's how I learned it. And I was always like, this is very confusing. Um, I mean, I remember when we bought Berkey's, we had a complex structure where the owner was basically at the very bottom, like we get paid at the very end. And then we bought Abacus. I was like, this is really confusing. Like, the owner doesn't, the owner in Dallas doesn't know if he's going to get screwed or not. And he owned like 13%. And I said, well, why don't we just change it to 10% and he gets the same equity, the ownership structure as like all of us, or I was at the very back. I owned like the, the very end of the bus now, but the investors, the owner got the same as the investors. And my lawyer was like, why would you do that? No one ever does that. I said, well, that's just, it just makes sense. Like, it's just more fair. And now no one has to wonder. If it goes bad, we all do bad. And I'm, I do worse. If it goes really well, everybody does well. And we switched the structure. And I just think it made for a lot better alignment. And yeah, so I don't know. I mean, I can tell you all the, 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 the risks of the private equity space and some of the stuff that I, I think I'm seeing and hearing now, which makes me a little nervous. Please do. I mean, Keep going. It's been, <laughs> Keep going. It's been 12, I mean, it's been 12 or 13 years since the last recession. So who knows? Um, it, do you, I mean, Keep going. Keep I, going. <laughs> well, I just think, I think what's happening now is just really interesting. I mean, the stuff, so I, when we bought our last company in Boston, I got all these calls from lenders who want to lend us money, bankers who want to try and represent us to sell Flint. And we're not for sale. Uh, and then, but I'll, you know, I'll talk to them. And then uh, <laughs> buyers who wanted to buy Flint. And the stuff I heard just reminded me very much of like 2007, where I guess if you're a little older or you have the, the power alleys right here, you know, where you're balding, like, <laughs> oh, yeah. you know, yeah. Yeah. I just have the, the gray. Uh, yeah. The gray, then you might remember this, but like some crazy stuff, like we'll pay any price to get in this space. And then over time, we'll pay less as we go. And I was like, well, that's not, that's not great. I mean, it's like, it doesn't, it doesn't really make sense. And usually what happens is they forget the, the buy it down over time and just keep paying really high prices. Um, the people are using a ton of debt. So I use that example of like buying a $5 million house and you can borrow 90% um, or buying a $300,000 house, you can only borrow 10. Well, you know, debt rates have never been cheaper for a car or a house or whatever. And people are putting an enormous amount of debt on these companies. And when interest rates go up, and eventually they will go up, yep. it's going to get a lot tighter on those companies. And I mean, I've been in that situation. Alan and I were in that situation when the company went from four to three, where we had to have a lot of meetings with the bank and 
spent a lot of time making sure we, we had our ratios right. And you spend a lot of time on that. It's just not very efficient. And the fastest way to, uh, I mean, the fastest way when you're hurting with the debt covenant is to cut costs. I mean, you could grow revenue, but if you knew how to do that, you would have already done it. <laughs> so, uh, so, you know, it can put, it can put the companies in danger and usually the sell, like a lot of sellers will carry a note where they are owed money over time and that sits behind that debt. So like it just puts their money more at risk. If they kept equity and the company's in trouble, it puts their equity at risk. They might have to, the investors may decide to put more money in to pay down debt. And then they come to the seller and say, Hey, do you want to stay in your position as 10% or you need to put in 10% of the money? Well, that wasn't part of the plan. Yeah. yeah well, sorry. So <laughs> I think, and then well, what I'm seeing right now is like, a lot of people don't really understand our business and it's not like rocket science, but like I talked to a guy who said, Oh yeah, when we buy companies, we cut our, we cut our material costs by 50%. I said, what do you mean? He's like, Oh, we buy a company and we cut our material costs 50%. I said, that's bullshit. He's like, what? I said, who come up with that? Like somebody in New York and their spreadsheet. And he's like, yeah. I was like, yeah, that's not, that's not true. Like, do you know how to read I mean, any of the three financial documents? <laughs> yeah. Well, they do. They know how to read all of them. They just, they just don't know how it actually works. So, I mean, I think there are some cost savings with scale and everything, but I, I just think some of the folks coming in are making some ridiculous assumptions. And a lot of it is predicated on the greater pool being around at the end to buy for more than you pay. And when that slams shut, a lot of folks are going to be left with a bunch of companies that they're not really sure what to do with. And I just think that doesn't bode well for our industry or the sellers or the companies that they work so hard to build. And it, it's not going to prevent people from selling because people are paying some crazy prices right now, but right. I just think they need to be aware. And it, it's becoming a little bit of a money grab, which by the way, like I don't fault anyone for it. Like someone offers a gajillion dollars for your company and you want to retire, you should take the gajillion dollars. But I, you know, I just think some of them are a little riskier bets than, uh, than they're leading people to believe. But you got to have an exit strategy, right? So like, you're still got to follow like your own, what's your plan and then research your research. If you plan on making a complete exit, then whatever, like if it's just a money grab, but if you, if not, you're trying to roll you're trying to roll equity into it. You got to find the right partner that kind of matches what like that works for you. And there's plenty of options too. It's just that, I mean, this is one of those deals where you've been, and again, this is from my perspective. You were the first guy I saw in it because I was a part yeah. of it. Like I was, you know, I was a part of that. And yeah. that's what my first introduction was way back then. So yeah, I'm a hundred, I'm a big believer in finding the right partner. Absolutely matters and making sure that uh, cultures align, which you've said culture multiple times. And I really appreciate um, you saying that um, because it is extremely important and it is overlooked. Um, and, and by the way, Alan O'Neill, which, which I know he listens to some of these podcasts and he'll send, uh, send me messages. Um, it, it's not fair when you have somebody who has an accent, by the way, it's easier to build a company. <laughs> <laughs> totally not fair, he, but he was, he's, yeah. he's the best, but he was a great guest on this. And I would segue that into, um, you obviously have gotten to know like hundreds of like owners, operators and people, industry leaders and things like that. Um, we have not asked this on a live on a podcast before Paul, but do you have anybody that you would say, Hey man, you got to have this guy or this gal on your podcast like is there anybody you can think of that that we should have on here like you gotta have this dude on you mentioned um 
already with uh, Parker and Sons with Paul Kelly. Um, and great company. I'm obviously, I'm in Phoenix. Um, I know Josh really well. No, his wife, Laura, really yeah. well. We do a lot of, yeah. we do a lot of business together, actually. So, um, but outside of Paul Kelly, who would be great, by the way, um, it makes perfect sense because I could get him in the studio. <laughs> um, yeah. But who else yeah. would you recommend? I think, yeah, Paul's great. Um, I mean, I think Trevor, my partner, too, would be he won't amazing. do it. He, I asked him. Well, you could try. You could try again. Okay, he will. I have I have met few people who are better at the operational mechanics of of plumbing and air conditioning business. I mean, he and and it may be, uh, you know, your podcast, but like I've never seen anyone who understands how what drives a business and how it works better than him. And um, I I think he's phenomenal and and might be able to get into some of the granularity, which could be interesting or not for certain owners um, of just how he thinks about running our company. He's just been, I mean, I've learned a ton. It's been awesome. And then, uh, do you know Tom Howard? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we had Tom. Oh, he's so good. Tom's money. His laugh. His laugh is world class. (laughs) (laughs) His giggles. I love it. (laughs) The best impression ever. uh, I think he is lights out. I mean, as far as like the ultimate entrepreneur hustler who also has the aptitude to work at, you know, a bajillion dollar startup that we're all so dependent on. And from uh, Armenia. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And then he was in Armenia for a while. Uh, I I was like, yeah, he with his whole family in Armenia. Yep. Uh, I couldn't even turn out Armenia on a map. So (laughs) I was good for him. We struggled. Yeah. We We embarrassed, we embarrassed ourselves with that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, those are some people. I mean, there's so many neat people in this industry. Um, I, I mean, I think this is a real service to, to us and the industry. You guys do this. It's it's awesome. And you've already hit on some of the best people. I mean, Ken Payne's amazing. Alan, maybe just done a great job. So appreciate that. Yeah. So then um, then we will let you drop a little nugget to Trevor to say, hey, dude, Chris asked you. And now now you're doing it. Just say it like I, that. Say you're doing I will, it. I will. Uh, I will suggest that it would be valuable to everyone. Just hey, okay. just just we'll say, say just say it like this because this is kind of like this is work for you. Hey man, podcast. Yeah. Hey, podcasts are cool. People listen. Do it. He's. I mean, I think he listens to podcasts. He's like, do you listen to this podcast? I'm like, I haven't yet. I, haven't. So, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know where he gets. That guy's got the biggest motor I've ever seen. I, the amount of stuff he gets done in a day is crazy. Love it. Well, so. let, let's do this. Okay, because we're like about an hour in now. So, and I was trying going to sure. try to keep it to an hour like I always try to do. What are you laughing at, Ryan? Is that funny? Um, right, it's like, because I got to edit this. He's thing. like, I got to edit this damn thing. Um, but let's go in with this. And it's a question that Paul and I, uh, Paul and I have been asking um, most of our guests really the last few months. And uh, that is, what do you want your legacy to be? Listen, you're 43. You're only a year older than me. We got a lot of runway ahead of us. We got a lot of stuff we can do. I've got more hair than you, but I've got more gray hair than you. So, um, and I just, I shaved it off so I could look cool, but it's there. Yeah. It's still there. But what do you want your legacy to be? Like, have you thought about that? I've actually given a lot of thought about it. So, but what, what does, what is Colin Hathaway's legacy going to be? You know, it's hard when I was younger, like I had some pretty heady aspirations for what I wanted, like the, the general legacy to be. And I thought it was, you know, like, how do you impact the most people? And I think as I've gotten a little bit older and had some of these health things and I had a little time to check the ego a little bit. I mean, my folks were amazing for me and gave me so much love and support. I had some pretty tough times and 
junior high or college or when I couldn't get into law school. So I'd like to be a great husband and a, and a great father to my two kids. And I think if they feel that way, I will count it as, as a win. Um, you know, I think the other thing is like, I, I carry around this piece of paper in my pocket, which is like my to-do list. Everyone makes fun of me. I have a blue pen and a black pen. It's like, I, I was like, it's my Palm Pilot, but like no one knows what I'm talking about because <laughs> it's too old. What's a Palm Pilot? <laughs> yeah, I know. That's right. So, and like at the bottom right corner, I have like a little, little thing that's tied to my face. And then I have these two reminders, like what's the right thing to do, do the best you can do. And I feel like if I follow that mantra each day in decisions that are big or small, you know, my legacy, what, whatever it is, will be one I'm, I'm proud of. Um, and so that, that's, that's something I think about a lot. Just, I can just trying to do the right thing. I can dig it. Um, yeah. Good answer. I can dig it. Hey, yeah. Colin, what is, if somebody wants to reach out to you to ask questions, and by the way, listeners, I always, I always encourage you to take action. Um, these guys come on here and then they share contact info. Uh, actually use it. If you have questions, it's a pretty good idea. Um, so would you mind sharing a way to get in touch with you? Uh, if the listeners want to reach out to you and ask any questions or potentially even a, you know, a, a potential partnership. Sure. Um, so you can go to our website, Splint G, uh, F-L-I-N-T is in Tom, G is in girl, or gamma. Or group. Um, or group, <laughs> yeah. And my email is on there, my LinkedIn, and that's probably the easiest way to get a hold of me. Um, the LinkedIn or, or the splintg.com website, Splint Group, um, that's probably the easiest way. Got it. Okay, cool. And we'll share that too, as long as you're cool with it. Obviously, you just shared it online yeah. or on here. So, yeah. hey, uh, Flint Group. That come because is that because you're from Flint, Michigan? It much to my wife's dismay, it is from <laughs> it is because I'm from Flint, Michigan. She's like, she's like, you can't call it that. It's like calling it like Akron Capital. I'm like, <laughs> it's, it's fine. It's like Flint. It's like a rock. It's like fire. She's like, it's not a rock. It's Flint, but there's no water. I was like, I know, I know. It's, <laughs> so it's fine. So she disapproves. Works. <laughs> <laughs> she disappeared. Yeah, she was not. She was not in favor of it at all. So, <laughs> well, listen, dude, man, I appreciate you coming on here. It was good to catch up. It's good to see you. Uh, it's been a long it time. Awesome um, congratulations on your success, man. That is like it's super admirable, and um, and I'm grateful after even after a few schedule changes uh, that are totally on me. Um, uh, I appreciate you making time for us and coming on, and sharing your story, and and hopefully encouraging others listening and. And uh, it's always it's not always like rainbows and sunshine, man. Yet sometimes you you go through some shit, you learn some shit, and that's how you end up becoming a a, a phenomenal leader, a phenomenal company, things like that. So thanks for sharing those stories, both peaks and valleys, and uh, appreciate you being on here. Yeah, thank you so much. It was great, and thanks again for doing this for our industry. This is really really awesome. I yeah. really appreciate it. Thanks, man. Certainly our pleasure. And, and you know what, Paul? Won't you go ahead and read uh, our review today? You want to share that? I do. It's got my name in it, which always makes me really excited, Chris. Um, so this review comes from the one call close. This could very well be from Colin that, back in the day. <laughs> I just did a preemptive review. Thanks, That's man. right. Um, That's perfect. Five stars, or we wouldn't have shared it. Five, Chris and Paul do a great job in giving us topical information that we can use in our businesses today. Great podcast with valuable takeaways. Thank you very much. And thank you to all of our listeners. If you have not left us a review, please do that. That is our currency. That is how we get paid. Um, go, I'd say that in jest, we do not, we do this for free. So go to the website or go to 
Apple, iTunes. Scroll all the way down, right, Chris? You may take over. Choose five stars. You may take over. Yeah, leave okay. a review. So not everybody has Apple, and that's okay. We forgive them. Um, but, yeah, you can go to the podcast and just scroll all the way to the bottom to the very first episode, and you'll see a spot to leave a review, and we love that, seeing those things come through. So, Paul, you did a great job. I didn't mean to cut you off. Don't start crying Same like a little baby. Um, but listeners, hopefully again, you enjoyed this episode with my man, Colin Hathaway and Colin again, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, he's going to drop a little nugget. We'll get Trevor a, a teed up, um, for a, a future episode, like but listeners until next time, we'll see you.